This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Rensmake. Mr. Stelter, how's it going? Good. Here we are, episode 110. And uh, boy, we got lucky at Sheep Week. We had a very cool lineup of guests, and none other than Glenda Grote was on this one. And uh, pretty cool to connect with Glenda and talk about uh, what's going on with Canole, uh, what's going on in the territories, what's going on with Dull Sheep. And um, yeah, she's just a force in the guide outfitting world, and it was really cool to catch up with her. Yeah, it was great to finally have her on. She's such a supporter of what we do and of the society. So catch her in her busy schedule and got it on a podcast, especially down at Sheep Week was awesome. Yeah, really cool. It's a neat vibe down there. And uh, it was fun with her too. Uh, Like you said, they've been a longtime supporter. Uh, Canole has been of the society. Um, They've donated uh, caribou hunts before. And um, just, you know, really good people over there and doing great things. Got a great reputation in the territories. And, and it was fun just to hear um, Glenda's journey on how she got to where she is. And, you know, a, a young woman that's just done great things in the outfitting world. Yeah. And you never, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about the outfit. And sounds like you just got to be ready when you get there and she'll let you know if you're not ready. So, it's- <laughs> yeah. 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 Well said. Yeah, no, just a, a great chat with her. Um, so, you know, just I feel spoiled. We got to record those live recordings down in uh, Reno. We'd like to do a lot more of that. COVID kind of put us in a weird world where we're doing everything remotely. But uh, you and I have talked about that, and we're going to we're gonna have our recorder with us wherever we're on location. And obviously, we had the Northern Fundraiser in a few weeks, and then Kamloops a month later. So we'll be doing some live recordings there. And, um, yeah, it's just, just a way better experience to sit table across the table and have a really good conversation yeah i feel like you, you can feel that energy in those conversations so it's it's nice to get that energy buzzing off the room coming through when you're chatting it just gives that nice vibe yeah yeah very cool so we mentioned the northern that's uh just a sh- short week and a half away and uh got a great lineup we got kevin hurley as our keynote uh, unfortunately we're sold out so uh you can't get any tickets there um, really thankful to Frontiersman Gear for supporting our um, Friday night kickoff party, and um, just a, a great. It's going to be a great uh, event, and just looking forward to get everyone back together. It's been a couple of years now, and everyone's just chomping the bit to get together and talk wild sheep. Absolutely, be good to be back in person up there. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and keep putting more money on the ground in Northern BC. Um, and that's the one thing about it with our Northern Fundraiser. We've done a lot of great work in the North of BC, our prescribed burns. The money that we raise in the North stays in the North, and that's pretty uh, impactful for our Northern um, you know, supporters. They want to see that. And uh, 7A and 7B need a lot of help up there. There's a lot of – it's a big area. There's a lot of sheep, and they need a lot of support. Definitely. looking Looking forward to that show and getting that one rocking. Absolutely. So, um, one thing we just wanted to throw out there for our listeners is uh, last year we started our Wild Sheep um, 
media festival, and we kind of we have four categories: photographer of the year, film of the year, writer of the year, and young photographer of the year. So uh, basically, you just need to be a member. Uh, it's now open. We're taking entries. Um, head over to our website. It's wildsheepsociety.com forward slash media festival. Uh, but you can send us our uh, entries, your entries at uh, communications at wildsheepsociety.com. And uh, so you get the prestige of any of those categories if you win. Um, we got some epic judges. We got Darren Epp, Jeff Jackson, and Peter Gucci that do the photographer stuff. Uh, film of the year is the Filter Studio Boys, uh, Jesse Bone and Tash Baycroft. And then right of the year is uh, judged through the Wild Sheep BC Communications Committee. And then again, the youth photographer of the year is uh, Darren, Jeff, and Peter. So um, the only real criteria is you need to be a member. So make sure your membership's active. And if you are, send it in. Uh, we have excluded this year professionals. So if you get your, if your primary earning is as a photographer or a filmmaker, you're excluded. But if you're, um, you know, a semi pro or whatever, you know, it's not your day job, no problem. Send us your stuff and uh, you get the prestige. The winners gets their photo on the cover of our magazine so you'll see danny coin's picture was on the cover of the winter magazine that just dropped i got mine yesterday have you got yours yet uh, i haven't checked the mail this week but um should be there yeah cool i just got mine and uh danny's photo it's a beautiful ram it's got his neck stretched up and he's eating some pines and it's absolutely stunning so anyway uh if you're interested we'd love to see your stuff so uh if you write if you take pictures if you do video, send them in. And uh, the filmmaker of the year that from our media festival from last year was um, Grant Bowie. And Grant's film is, we're going to show that at the Northern this year. Um, so anyway, get your name out there. Um, and we give away some cool prizes thanks to our conservation partners. We give away a bunch of cool stuff. But really, it's for bag- bragging rights, right? So, oh, 100%. We blast you everywhere. Everyone's going to see your number one. So. Some good stuff rolling in. Awesome. So good luck to everybody that's entering. Cool. Um, so before we head off to 110 here with Glenda, uh, just a reminder that our raffles are still going. Um, uh, there's a few tickets left for our um, uh, Jurassic Rifle Raffle and our Vortex Optics Raffle and the Sitka Gear Package Raffle. We're drawing those at the Northern Fundraise on the Saturday night. So a week to go there, less than a week. And then, uh, but we have all our wild sheep raffles. They're selling quick. Um, we're 50% sold out on a number of them. And quite often these do sell out. There's a cool um, desert sheep hunt with Sierra El Alamo award-winning outfitter there and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. So get those tickets before they're gone. And again, Greg, as we talk about all the time, $1.18 million in conservation work on the ground over the last four years. So, um, you know, it's nice to win something, but you're also supporting a good cause and make it a difference for wild sheep in BC. Yeah, we also have the membership drive going on right now as well uh, for life members. Oh, yeah. Keep forgetting about that one, the yeah. custom-branded WSF rifle. It's a gorgeous piece of equipment. We got to see it down down in Reno. So get your life membership, level that, up. Yeah, that's a cool one because you don't, you don't need to do anything. If you're a life member of the Wild Sheep Society BC, your name is already in. You're automatically entered. If you're a monarch, you get extra chances. Um, so you don't need to do anything. But if you want extra chances or you want in on it, you need to buy a life membership or you need to buy uh, upgrade to monarch. But you don't need no purchase necessary. You're already in if you're a life member. And then on top of it, we're going to draw an average life member breakfast in uh, Kamloops on the Saturday morning. And we've got a great event planned for you there. 
and you get extra chances if you're at that show. So if you if you really want to maximize, get as many, be a life member, be a monarch member, and show up to Kamloops, and you'll get as many chances. But if you're an existing life member and you're sitting at home on Saturday of our life member breakfast, your name's still going to be in there, and you could win just as easily as anyone. Your odds just aren't as good. So um, really, really cool um, membership promotion, and man, that's a sweet rifle. I think it's valued at like 5500 US, so it's like a... $7,000 package. It's got a Leopold scope on it. Um, it's a Wild Sheep Foundation limited edition Mark V Weatherby chassis carbon barrel. Um, this one's ca- uh, chambered in 6.5 RPM. So just a beautiful setup. So yeah, but I, I think if I if my name comes out of there, I'm going to have to donate that thing back because nobody will let me walk out of the room alive, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, anything we're missing? We got our covered. I think we got it covered, and we've been talking too long. So here we go, episode okay. one ten. Awesome, episode one ten. Absolutely, like you said, and we've got something special coming down the pipe, podcast wise. We're just going to throw a teaser out there that something you've never heard before is coming very soon. So got a really cool episode coming up on after this one. But you're going to love this chat with Glenda Groat from Canole Outfitters. Enjoy. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. All right. Well, here we are, Sheep Week 2023. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're absolutely honored to have you, Glenda. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, cool. So it's Sheep Week. And uh, so you buzzing? Like, uh, for me, it's just like I, I'm just elevated. I'm on, I'm pumped at Sheep Week. And uh, what's it like for you? I know you're in the industry. You do this stuff all the time. But when you come to Sheep Week, what's it like? I. Like this year, like leading up to it, it wasn't really like I'm, I w- didn't have that excitement leading up to it. And then as soon as I got here, it's like the whole crowd, it's like elevates you and like you get so excited and it's like all the people that you see, you know, year after year and it's like becomes like a little family here instead of just, you know, like the big shows. It's like you, it's just faces in a crowd kind of in here. It's like just you know, like going to your hometown bar kind of thing uh, once a year. So it's pretty cool to be be here every year. It truly is. It's like a family. And I'm sure for the guide outfitting community, it's even more so, right? Because, um, you know, you guys connect throughout the year so many times. And I know for me, like, you know, being in the sheep world, um, you know, it's it's there's that excitement. But for, I think as a guide outfitter, there's so much energy too through that. Because you guys, the sheep family is a family. And then the guide outfitting sheep family is a tighter knit family too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, you know, our seasons overlap and, you know, you're traveling up and down the road and you're busy and all this with outfitting. And so this is like the one time a year that all us sheep outfitters like are in the same place at the same time, you know, like 
even as far as like our yearly meetings and stuff, like I'm in the Northwest Territories, but my friends are in BC or Alberta, or, you know, and so here it's everybody all together that you get to see. Awesome. Okay, I want to talk more about Sheep Week in a minute, but before we jump into it, let's, for our guests, uh, and I know that you're no stranger to the podcast, you, you, you know, you've been on lots, uh, and um, so people know a little bit about you, but for some of our guests that don't know, let's just learn a little bit about who Glendagrode is, talk a little bit about canola, and just a little bit about the, the business and about yourself and, and, and how the heck that you're, <laughs> you're running this multi-million dollar outfitting business, because I think that's, that's so cool, and, and I, I've got so much respect for what you do, so... Thank you. Um, yeah, I grew up um, with my family being into it. Like, my dad guided, my mom cooked. Um, so when I was really little, I was in camp. And then as a summer job, I did was in hunting camps. And then I went to college, you know, did all that. And then I came back to the mountains because that's truly where I feel at home. So I had been guiding. I guided in the Yukon, in BC, in the Northwest Territories. And then after I had kids, um, it just changes everything. You can't be, you know, a full-time guide and a mom at the same time, right? So uh, I was guiding a hunt here or there in the Yukon. And then this opportunity came up where the um, indigenous people from the Sawtoo bought this area and they offered me this job. They were looking for an outfitter. My name got brought up and it just worked out. It was meant to be. And I am so, so grateful for this opportunity to run this company and be able to do what I love and share that with my husband and my kids and just share my passion of sheep hunting and being in the outdoors, not just hunting with, you know, both my family and all of the people that come through our camp. Right. Right. That's what I live for. Awesome. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, when we talk about a generation ago, you talked about your mom, she was camp cook and it's like, no, now you're running the business and, it, and you know, there's been a transition where, you know, if you look back 50 years, how many, you know, female guides were there? Not a lot. I'm not saying there weren't any, there were some, but there weren't a lot. Um, very few, you know, women that ran an outfit on their own, um, you know, kind of in, like quite often it was a family or, you know, kind of, you know, the the man was taking care of it and the wife was part of it. She was as big a part of it as he was, but you know, he, he was running the operation. Maybe she was the cook, but now that's, that's not the case with canola. You're running that place. Um, you know, has it changed for women and, you know, through women hunt through the great wild sheep foundation program, women hunt wild sheep. BC's got a women shaping conservation. You know, there's lots of opportunity, but it's, r I've really seen a transition and, and what's it like for someone like yourself that, maybe in your mom's generation, you might've been just cooking like, but yeah. now you're running the whole thing. Yeah. So what's that like? So I started out cooking too, right. right? And I am old enough that I have definitely seen the transition um, through my years of being in the industry. And, uh, you know, like right when I very first started and I went guiding, there was a lady who cooked and she said to my mom, she said, uh, why don't you tell Glenda she can't guide? And my mom's like, because uh, she can guide, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm so thankful for my parents just being like supportive of that and that my passion was more being outside and being with the guides out hunting and stuff like that than being in the kitchen. And like now as an outfitter, I go back to this year, I ended up cooking most of the season because that's what needed to be done. And so I'm truly so thankful for all of that knowledge as well as 
the guiding stuff and getting into that. And I think like, you know, as a woman, that balance of like the feminine side and the masculine side of like being able to do both is, you know, it's, it's a nice thing. So it's, I lived through that transition of where you were supposed to be in the kitchen and doing (laughs) that stuff to the other. And I had, um, there was like female guides that I knew that were older than me, um, prior to getting into guiding that like, you know, you do, you did see them a little bit. Like I think because of my life position and what I was in, I did see it a little bit. These strong women that were out there doing it. And I think a major transition in this has been social media and the internet, you know, like those women who were doing it prior to, you know, like me and some of my friends who are here, um, they didn't get the recognition because it's you're just out hunting and they didn't need the recognition and like now um it's transitioned so much into like social media and online that people are seeing those women's faces Mm -hmm. you know there always was women doing this and there always was women passionate about this but as the internet grows that's what is making it so much more out there. And then it's making it okay for more women to be out there. You know, like I had a lady say to me the other day, like, oh, I had to hide this from my husband or whatever, you know, like uh, emotion that they were having. And I'm like, you don't have to hide that anymore. You know, like for women, we don't have to be in the kitchen. We don't have to be hiding stuff anymore. It's like, women as a whole are just coming out of their shells and I think the internet is a huge part of that and so for me that's the real big transition is the internet and (laughs) broadening everybody's like perspectives of what women actually are and want to be and can be. Well and you know did you ever yourself experience scenarios where you had um someone come in and say, oh, I don't want to hunt with a girl or did you ever, you know, it's interesting. You said your mom's friend said, well, have you ever told her that she can't guide? Like, and, you know, so close to home, like people you love and care about um, because of that stereotypic, the the stereotype, I guess at the time or, but did you, have you ever had that where, you know, as a guide when you were starting out that, oh yeah, you you can't, I can't hunt with a girl or I don't want to hunt with a girl. Yeah, I did have that. And one of the outfitters I worked for even would like, I didn't know this at the time. Like he didn't, he never like, I didn't feel he ever judged me or anything for being a woman, but he would like take clients aside and be like, I'm going to put you with the girl. Is that okay? And like most of them said, yes, I think. I don't know of the ones that said no. Right. So he was aware of what that was. Um, more than me, I was probably just like a uh, young, dumb, blonde, like everything going over my head that people wouldn't like me, right? right. <laughs> like, or people wouldn't want to hunt with me. Um, I just was out there hunting because that's what I like to do. You know, like I have always like grown up just thinking of myself as one of the boys, you know, like yeah. I never felt I was different. So, you know, this question about, you know, like, you know, like you just asked me, I, I, I just never felt I was anything different, right? right? Like in that sense, when I was growing up and through that, I just was like, I'm one of the boys. I 
I'm just out here hunting. We're all doing what we like, and that's what it is. So it never occurred to me that people didn't want a woman around, you know? like Right. Well, and it's so cool now, like you said, with the Internet and social media, because you, you see these accomplished guides like, you know, the Rachels, the, the Glendas of the world, the, the Tannises, that, and you're like, they're killing a ton of stuff, and, and people want to hunt with them now, right? Because yes. they are, that you know, yeah, they're a woman, but they're one of the most respected guides around right people are coveting those spots because they're killing some big animals they're doing a great job and uh, i think it's really cool to see that transition so interesting that i never thought that this social media would play such a big part in that role so yeah i truly feel that it did yeah huh. so do you feel like has it gone far enough because if you go to hollywood you know yeah. you're like oh as a female we're still being discriminated against because the leading male guy gets 20 million and we only get 10 or whatever you know, is it an equal playing field in the industry now? Is it is it where it needs to be? And I know that's a tough question for you because, <laughs> like you said, I don't look at myself as a woman. I look at myself as a guide or an outfitter, right? Yeah. I don't look at, but it, you know, is there an e is it easy for a young lady to get involved in the guide outfitting industry? Um. Easier. You know, I. <laughs> that one's a really hard one for me to answer because I. I would love to hire another female guide. Like I have had female guides work for me and they outworked the men so many cool. times. Right. Yeah. And my Shay Tompkins, she was working for me and then she just got married. So, you know, they go through that transition where they get married and then they're not available full time anymore or whatever. So I've been there. I completely understand that. But you know, I would love to have another female come and do that. And there's been like a couple young girls like over the years that have came and worked for me. And I definitely am hard on them because I have high expectations because I want them to do good though. Right. right? Like it's not out of meanness ever that I want to be hard on them, but I'm like, you know, when you come into the industry, it's like, you don't want to be favored because you're a girl, you know, or coddled because you're a female. It's, you want to be out there hunting, doing everything and not be like, oh, well, she's the girl, so she needs help or anything like that. Right. So, um, I don't know a ton of young girls that are getting into it with other outfitters, but like speaking from my own outfit and that, I would love to see more women coming up through, you know, the ranks and learning from the start and the work that it takes and just being out here all enjoying what we do. Like, I think the um, more females are coming hunting on these trips than right. previously what used to come. And I think uh, having female guides offers a truly unique experience of two women being out on the mountain together without your husband or your dad or you know a lot of times it is a male figure who introduced these women into the hunting industry and that experience of being like two women out on the mountain and doing an extreme mountain hunt is very empowering for women to be able to do it without a man as well and I see like emotional changes in women when they are able to do that. So I think it's like a truly unique, unique thing that you can offer in having female guides. And um, 
I hope that outfitters are being fair to females. Right. And I think, you know, from what I see, I'm very welcome in this. Um, you know, I don't get a cold shoulder because I'm the female outfitter or that. Like, I still feel like I'm just one of the guys. And I think that, you know, the outfitters, the younger outfitters, not that the old ones, the old ones were the ones who hired me. So I'm not saying anything against that. But, you know, like we are seeing right now in the whole industry a big transition of you know that older generation getting out of it and lots of younger outfitters coming in and those same ages of people are grew up you know went through that same transition that i went through where everybody's just people right you know we're all just out here enjoying what we enjoy together you know so i think it's it's a fair playing field well, and it's interesting, you know, case in point with yourself. Like, you know, you said, you know, the older outfitters typically, you know, it was a male-dominated industry. But you, we look at you, you know, a young woman that, you know, you're, you're running a, a multi-million dollar uh, guide operation, female. And uh, so that's that's different, right? It wasn't like that 30, 40 years ago as a general rule, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely the face of the industry has changed a little bit for sure. And it's, it's pretty cool to see the diversity. So. Yeah. So what does it look like? 20, 30 years from now, is the industry changing? Um, you know, that I know, and then we can get into a whole bunch of stuff with that, right? There are a lot of changes that we've seen, but you know, what what's the most? What are the biggest changes you've seen over the last ten years um, in the, in the industry? Is it? <laughs> it's a tough one, right? So, um, I one of the big changes that I've seen is when I very first started guiding, the ages of the hunters were much older. Okay, that were coming. And I feel like through the years, like younger and younger um, hunters are able to come. Like I feel like people are financially able at a younger age to be able to afford these hunts than previous. Right. You know, that's that's one of the big things that the whole age of, you know, used to be more like the old boys club. Right. You know, and so the whole age and everything is changing of the clients that everybody's getting well and it's interesting you know we've seen uh, a 13 year old uh, cammy cunningham you know 13 years old she had her finaz right and yeah you know uh there was a young lady out of um, alberta that just i think she was 11 years old and she shot a bighorn you know it's it's pretty phenomenal like these young ladies at 11 12 13 years old that yeah. are harvesting these sheep yeah i seen a young girl out of alaska too like it's awesome. It's so awesome to see. Yeah, very cool. So let, let's, on the topic of sheep hunting, so it was last year at Sheep Week, I think it was, and that, that's the cool thing about Sheep Week. It's that our family, we get to see each other. And I was on the bus from here over the, to the, and you had your phone out, and you're like, you had a picture of a ram, and I heard you telling a story about, I think it was your first ram, right? Yeah. So I want to hear about that because it's such a unique story. I heard it. <laughs> second you were showing someone else on the bus and i i planned to tell me that story and let me see that ram yeah. and you killed a beautiful ram tell me the story yeah so i it was in our area near the end of the season and all my sheep hunters had tagged out already and i had gotten a sheep tag <laughs> the previous year and i didn't actually think that i would have time to hunt um because outfitting and my clients always come first but i'm like you know what I'm going to get another sheep tag and if it's like, if it works out, it works out. If not, it not. And um, so we were out actually like putting out some moose hunters and stuff. And I was along and the um, 
cook was with me and she had never seen sheep before. And so she's like, do you think we could like look for some sheep before we go back? And so I was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, oh, there's 15 over there, you know, thinking they're like using lambs. And then we like get looking at them and I'm like, oh, <laughs> wow. You know, like th that's a really nice ram. And all my sheep hunters are tagged out. And, you know, I probably have three days here or something that I could go chase this ram. Um, I got a tag. So I put my hunters out and then me and my son and the cook went back and the this is the cook who had never seen adult sheep before wow this and so we went back and we like um spent the night and yeah we i was like we hunted this ram and we like went up we climbed way up we got above them and we're coming down and we start seeing like all these rams and you know my son on the way up he was like getting tired but he, he How was old is he he was eight wow yeah phenomenal wow. so um he was getting tired but he's like so into it right? right like he really that's what he plays all the time everything like that so before we left, my husband had reminded me to be patient with him because he is only <laughs> eight years old. So <laughs> I actually, it, having him with me was like such a benefit. And I think, you know, it added to the specialness of it. And I think it took my mind off of like being stressed out and like actually like being worried about the hunt because I was like worried about him getting him up the mountain and right. over to the sheep, right? And as we're coming down, we see like four rams over here and I like go through them all and I'm like nope not not him he's not in there right and I like age them all and I'm like okay so we go a little bit farther and then it's like 11 rams and I'm like okay well I only seen 15 rams when I seen before but I like go over them over them over them he's not there he's not there he's not there and I'm like okay like maybe he left in the night like I don't know typical sheep hunting story right and so we like keep coming keep coming and I would like leave them back a little ways and like come a little bit closer and then get them to come up with me and all of a sudden there this ram was 50 yards from me and my son was like 100 yards from the ram and it was you know like perfect sheep hunt it went amazing and him getting to be there and that was his first sheep that he had ever been on and to me that was the most special part about it you know like beyond what the sheep looked like or anything like that is he like he walks up to it and he goes he's like well mom it's not the biggest sheep we killed all fall but it's old so that's good <laughs> <laughs> i'm like well we're raising him right i guess that is awesome <laughs> so what does it do to someone like that an eight-year-old to experience that and to you know it's so challenging to be on a sheep hunt anyway and to be successful to watch your mom harvest a sheep what is he chomping at the bit to get his license or guide or what what is oh yeah he's counting down the days till he turns 10 and can legally like shoot a deer or shoot anything in bc but he's like you know his goals are really high because he's like you know a sheep a caribou a bison i'm like most deer or most young kids are like start out with a deer and I'm like these these are high standards kid like I don't know if you know like <laughs> you might just be spoiled a little bit that you think you're gonna shoot like a caribou or a sheep for your first animal right so 
Cool. So now with your kids, and um, let's talk a little bit about, well, I, I, we should probably talk more about the sheep hunt, actually. <laughs> so um, I hope, can you, we use the cover photo uh, for the cover photo for the podcast? Can we use that picture of that sheep? Because that is such, that picture, your ram, and, and oh, it was just beautiful. So it's yeah, so gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. I'm being <laughs> selfish here asking for that now. But uh, um, so, you know, you know, you've guided so many people over the years to successful sheep hunts, and you know, quite often I'll talk to guides and, and a lot of them have never killed a sheep themselves, right? Um, you you were one of them until yeah. a couple of years ago. And then, um, but a lot of them, I, what I, and I don't know what this is like. I I take friends and I mentor people, never, I guess, really on a sheep hunt. But, um, you know, it's, it's special for sure. But how was it for you killing your first ram as opposed to being on it, you know, and experiencing that with, is it different? Is it better? Is it worse? <laughs> is it the same? Does it, do, do you want to go and kill another one? What is it like as a, you know, from your perspective as a guide and a now outfitter? So. <laughs> this is probably going to be the unpopular opinion, <laughs> <laughs> but um, being on so many sheep hunts uh, prior to getting my own sheep, I think, um, if my son hadn't been with me, I wouldn't even have shot that sheep. Um, to me, it is being out there and the part that I truly love about guiding and outfitting is um, being able to do that for somebody else and watch them achieve their dream. And like I could get emotional even talking about it because I've seen so many grown men shoot their sheep and cry on the mountain and that is like that's it for me um it's not me actually pulling the trigger absolutely does not matter to me it's about the full experience of being out there and every sheep that I've ever guided that's my sheep too you know yeah. like it's me and that person went out we worked our butts off and we got that sheep together right so to me absolutely doesn't matter if i never shot another sheep i would be totally fine with that um but you can bet your ass i'm gonna keep sheep hunting and i am gonna continue to take um as many people as i can sheep hunting and help them to achieve that because that's that's it for me awesome yeah, yeah very cool and i hear that so often now um when i talk to guides you know it's just that mentality is it, it to to them it's just as special and i don't ever yeah. need to 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 kill anything right i just yeah. happy to be on it and you know if you know nolan osborne a good friend and yeah. you know i'm like are you ever going to go shoot because i don't need to man yeah like, you don't care you yeah. honestly don't care it's like when that other person shoots it it's like that's it that's what you're there for and right. it's i've got to go on so many sheep hunts and experience so many of it and to me it's like if i was always pulling the trigger I wouldn't have gone on that many hunts, right. you know, so it doesn't matter to me. Like yeah. it's, it's more special for me being able to see other people achieve that. than like the goal for me isn't pulling that trigger. Right. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about being, uh, <laughs> is there a little emotion <laughs> there? <laughs> you said you were going to cry and you're not disappointed, oh, which is yeah. great. No, it's, I uh, no, it's and, that, good. and that's why you're so passionate, so good at what you do, because you are so passionate, right? Yeah. Um, I'm definitely the emotional outfitter. Like, that's the thing. I, like, <laughs> tell all my guides, I'm like, okay, so at the start of the season, we're probably going to cry on occasion, and if we get in a fight, we're going to hug it out, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's a pretty good attitude to have, I think. So, yeah, cool. 
So how is it being, um, you know, a working mom in the industry? So, you know, like obviously the, the guide outfitting industry or the, you know, the hunting industry, hunting season, it, you know, isn't, uh, doesn't align with school and a whole bunch of stuff. So how does that work with a young family and how, how are you able to manage that? And then, of course, with Canole, you, you know, you live in BC, but you're hunting in the territories. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about that and how you can manage all that. Um, so I am so thankful for my parents. Uh, <laughs> that truly, if I didn't have my parents and my husband supporting me in this lifestyle, it would be really hard. Um, you know, this week, right now, my husband's at home with the kids and then he's going to come down tomorrow oh, and, cool. um, my mom's going to be with the kids for a couple days and right from the very start of having kids like when my son was five months old I went and guided a hunt in the Yukon and I was gone for two weeks and my mom took my five-month-old son for two weeks so I could go and guide and I don't know a lot of moms who would be that supportive um, but I am very thankful for my mom that she is that supportive because she knew and does know what feeds me Right. And what makes me a better person and, you know, it truly makes me a better mother. Um, still uh, following my passions and my dreams and being able to, like, show my kids that, you know, keep, keep following your passions. It doesn't matter. Like, you can have, you can get married, you can have kids and you can still follow your passions. You don't need to have one or the other, right? And I'm very, very fortunate that of the scenario that I am in and I don't take that for granted that, um, but just the fact of like, you know, yeah, when my son was five months old, I, I went back guiding and then I had my son and my daughter and my mom kept them for a month so I could guide for a month. And, you know, they were one and two. They're close together. They're, you know, that's, that's a big task for my mom and dad to have taken them for a month so that, I could go guiding and keep doing what I love, right? So having that supportive family is major. And I am truly so grateful for them all the time. So absolutely. I, I totally appreciate where you're coming from where it's tough for them. But it's tough for a new mom with a one and two-year-old <laughs> at home. So how do you manage, you know, and especially that first year when they're so young, you're, you know, you, the emotional attachment's never been stronger. And now you're away from them for that period of time. Yeah. How was that for you emotionally and trying to manage that? So when I went and guided, I those two years when they were really little, I guided in the Yukon. And I think I cried for the first, like, four or five hours of the drive on the way up, right. leaving them. And then once I got to where I could see the mountains on the drive, I was like, felt at peace, right. you know, because that's, it is, the mountains is where I feel at peace and it's where I feel at home. Like I just feel like the most myself when I'm in the mountains and that. So, um, yes, I missed them for sure. And I've guided for like when me and Glenn were very first together, I guided and he stayed at home. And so, um, I, I know you miss them. You do miss them, but at the same time, it's, you're doing this for them as mm -hmm. well, you know? And like, sometimes you have to like sit down and do the hard things. You have to push through, you know, 
that and do the hard things. Go through that hard experience to get, you know, like the big picture, mm -hmm. right? To be able to keep doing what you, what you love and what you want to do, right? Well, and I have so much respect for you because I, I've been on mountain hunts. I've been extreme mountain hunts like a sheep hunt. And just mentally and emotionally, it's, it's, it's the hardest thing you do. Like, you know, you could say physically it's so hard, but it's just your, the mind and just, yeah. it's so hard. So just being on the mountain is difficult. And then coupled with the fact that you're a new mom with two kids at home and to push through that. Did you ever break down on the mountain with a client and just like, like, um, you know, or were you able to keep it? Cause I, cause there's times when you, you go through highs and lows on the mountain, right? There's yeah. times where you feel pretty good and then there's times you don't feel very good. Right. Yeah. So but you're able to manage all that. Okay. And in, in those years. Yeah. I managed it. Okay. I had one instance like a couple years ago in 2020 where I like absolutely like broke down on the mountain, like crying with a client. And I was like, I was just so tired. Um, we had, it was in Northern BC and we were backpacking and we had killed a goat and you know, we're all happy about that. And then my hunter shot a caribou too. So we're backpacking and we have a goat, a dead goat and a dead caribou that we have to backpack out over like two very high mountains to get back to where we need to go. And um, I was actually, I was guiding for Dustin Rowe and he was like, okay, Glenda, like we'll come meet you like part way, right? And so I probably like if I had been doing it on myself by myself I would have just stopped sooner and right. like but I like pushed myself past the point of like being so tired because I was like I'm not just gonna sit down and wait for them to meet me and save me you know like going back to this women thing at right. the start like can't no, show weakness yeah can't show weakness yeah. right so I'm like no I'm gonna keep going so I'm like climbing this mountain and I'm like okay I'm tired then I'm past that point. Then I'm past that point. And like, by the time I see them, I just like broke down, like crying because I was so happy to see them <laughs> coming to help me pack this like load out. And so I have broke down on the mountain for sure. But during that time, I didn't with the kids. No. Yeah, cool. So now with you, with your season, how does it work? Like when are you taking off when you're flying out of or leaving home? And then when do you get back? Like when do you, how long is that period? We leave at the end of June each year. And then we, the clients start coming in on July 15th. Okay. And then we finish up at the end of September. So with the kids, they miss the first month of school. And they're still like, they're eight, seven and eight right now. Right. So they haven't been at the ages where it really matters missing that first bit of school. Um, but we're going to keep doing that. Like. Awesome really they learn so much in the mountains and we're not going to take that away from them for some book work right awesome yeah good yeah. for you guys well hats off to you that you're able to do that and it's such a a cool opportunity for them right like in something that they'll, and like here you are you know you're talking about your youth and having done that i think you did that with your dad right when he you you went into the mountains sometimes with him i didn't actually okay. yeah so i um he had quit guiding like 20 years before I started guiding. Okay. It was like exactly 20 years in between the two. Um, I wish I had got to spend more time like in the mountains with my dad. Um, I definitely called him more than a few times uh, from the mountain over the years being like wanting his advice like right. when I couldn't find stuff and he talked me through lots of stuff and taught me lots even though we never spent, we've never been like 
on a mountain hunting together. Is that right? Eh? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, th that's awesome that you're able to do that with your kids and such a great opportunity. And, and so many of these guide outfitting families, you hear about that, right? Like their kids grew up, you know, I, I, well, we did a podcast with Rachel recently and, you know, we all know her story, 10 years old, she was in with the, the carries, right? With yeah. An, uh, with uh, Auntie Wendy and stuff. So yeah, really neat for the opportunity for the kids. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about canola and, and about hunting in the territory. So um, somebody wants to go on a, a, um, a hunt with you guys. What's different about canola? Why is it special? And, you know, let's talk a little bit about where you guys hunt and just get people to have a better understanding of what you guys do there. Yeah, so we are in the Northwest Territories. We're the biggest area in the Northwest Territories. Um, our area is 11,000 square miles. Um, I think what's truly special about the NWT as a whole is how remote it is. It's it's expensive, it's hard to get to, but it's so remote, like out of all the years, like I've been in the Northwest Territory since 2010, and I've never been out hunting and ran into another hunter. You know, like it just is, doesn't happen, right? Like it's hard to access. And so it's, it's that's unique. Whereas like BC, there's lots of residents as well. Like you're likely going to see other people when you're out hunting, right? So I feel that's the real unique thing about the Northwest Territories. Um, the populations are are good. We have a helicopter that we like um, put people out into locations to hunt. I think the true benefit of using a helicopter in our scenario, I don't feel a helicopter would be great if you let any you know every province use a helicopter i definitely wouldn't agree with that but with in our scenario i think what works so well is being able to um, manage our area so well mm. because we can hunt every square inch of our area on any given hunt you know right. like we aren't trailing into one camp and then having to spread out from there like we can absolutely hunt one end to the other on a hunt and we don't have to hit the same place over and over again, which I mean, there definitely is places that we hunt every year. If the rams are there, they're old enough, you know, stuff like that. But we just have such a wide range that we can hunt and we can feasibly get everywhere so easy with that, um, that I think it makes the experiences up there pretty unique. Mm. And I believe the territories is the only place you can use a helicopter. You can't, Yukon, yes. you can't, you can't do it in the, anywhere else in Canada either. Yeah, so, no. so it's a bit of a unique opportunity for someone that wants that experience to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, how many rams do you guys take on average a year, sort of? Um, we take about 25 rams a year. Okay. Um, we take lots of archery hunters. Um, you know, probably from earlier in the conversation talking about like for me it being the experience out there. I like archery hunters and I want my guides to like archery hunters, you know, like because it's it can be frustrating but challenging and I think, you know, like that pushing yourself mentally, um, it just is taken to a whole nother level with archery hunting. Right. And so I, I really enjoy it and I enjoy the time out there, whether you actually kill the sheep or not, spending that much time so close to the animals 
and learning about them and having to watch them, pattern them. Um, that's just so unique to me that uh, I hope everybody gets that experience and takes that time with the animals. Right. And you don't yourself, you, you use a rifle, you don't hunt archery, do you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> my, most people do. I don't the same, but... Uh, yeah. Um, so um, one thing I heard you say before, and, it, you know, we talk about, you know, th there's just not the pressure on the rams there too, right? So I, th that's one of the experiences I, I've heard you talk about in the past about the uniqueness of the territories is that you miss a ram, you're probably going to get another chance on them or it, you're going to find other rams that, you know, whereas in, sometimes, you know, you get your one shot and that's it, right? Yeah. So you yeah, talk a little bit about that for definitely us? definitely is. Um, as when I have new guides coming in, I tell them this, you know, like, because that's what I learned from the outfitter that I worked previously was like, you know, if, if you bump them a little bit, you know, just let them settle down and then go check if they're still there because these, there just is so much less pressure on them that they don't react the same as like a stone sheep in BC, you know, like um, they might go over a mountain and you you know, essentially let them calm back down and you get another chance at it um, lots of the time. Um, you know, probably if I said that on a hunt, it might not happen, but knock on wood that it keeps happening, right? Right, cool. And so you guys have uh, obviously doll sheep, but what else can people uh, uh, hunt in your area? Yeah, we have doll sheep, moose, and caribou. They're Yukon Alaskan moose and mountain caribou. And I think the... The Mackenzie Mountains as a whole is really well known for their mountain caribou. Mm -hmm. We have pretty good population and some really nice caribou up there. I've just seen giants come out of your area. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, we killed a really nice one this year. Did you see pictures of it? I think I did, yeah. It was just gnarly. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very cool. So um, what's your favorite? Like if, you, if you're, okay, let's say you're, guiding um and you had your choice of those three what would you take a client on it was up to you i uh, i am a sheep hunter like nice. through and through i love sheep hunting um yeah the the harder it is the more i kind of feed off it like <laughs> embrace the suck a little bit but yeah I'm a sheep hunter. Cool. So on that note, is there anything in the, all your time of guiding and your own hunts, anything that, like a traumatic story that stands, stands out or anything that, that you're willing to share on the <laughs> podcast with us or, or a great story or anything that really you can think back like, oh, wow, this, you think, like if you're thinking back on an experience on the mountain, this is the one I thought about. Oh, tough question. Gosh, I ended up putting you on the spot. This is such a tough question. So. I feel like, you know, this was one you should be prepared for. Yeah, here. I know. I should have given you the heads <laughs> up on it. But uh, we're pretty free-flowing with our podcast. So, yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, no, it's good. Um, oh, that is a really tough one. Well, a lot of them probably they are some, you can, but you don't, you don't want to share the story or you're like, you can't reveal a person or whatever, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, I can't tell that story. They'll know that I'm talking about them, right? So. Oh, yeah. No, I... Um, I don't know. I have a lot of great memories, so it's hard to, like, you know, pick one that really stands out. Um, I've just had so many great experiences with people that it's, like, probably, like, uh, maybe one of the ones that was, like, 
You're like, can I tell this story or not? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And don't, I, I don't, don't want to put you on the spot. You don't have to tell it if you don't okay. want to. But, okay. uh, well. but if you want to, we'd love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> we should have oh. whiskey at the booth. That's what we actually needed. Yeah, this shouldn't be at 1030 a.m. <laughs> That's fair You enough. know, if we did this at like 5 o'clock, maybe <laughs> there'd be some more stories ready to come out. Yeah, well, I guarantee there would be. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So, um Okay, so for somebody that wants to come and hunt with you guys and they want to book a hunt, what, how do they, logistically, how do they get there? Because <laughs> that's part of it, right? So um, even to getting to the territories is not even easy. So it's hard to get, on a sheep hunt, get there, let alone going on the sheep hunt itself. Yeah. So what's that experience like? Yeah, so um, most people start looking at flights when they book with us and they're like, how do I even get there? It doesn't even say Norman Wells <laughs> because you have to fly to... Um, to Edmonton on whatever Alberta on any airline and then there's only one airline that flies once a day in and out of Norman Wells so it's like you can't get lost in that airport but <laughs> um, yeah on Canadian North is the only airline that flies in and out of Norman Wells so that's where we base out of and okay. all our hunters come in and out of and uh, yeah and then is it helicopter from there or it depends no, they come in on a charter flight um, from there into our base camp and okay. then we put them with their guides and get them out on the mountain usually that night as soon as they get in there they have a big day that day okay straight from edmonton into norman wells by noon out to our camp and then out on the mountain on the same night so uh, that's a that's a big day especially somebody coming from the lower 48 or something right yeah so. well we don't want them to like have a bad sleep because they were too excited so we really <laughs> try and play them out first we're gonna <laughs> alleviate that issue just get them on the mountain <laughs> yeah perfect um so now uh you guys are i'm sure you're booked way out because of you know losing a couple years what does it look like for bookings for you guys yeah our sheep hunts we're booking for 2026 right now um, and our moose is 2024 and caribou is kind of the same. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> our caribou hunts are always like a floating number of how many we're going to take each year. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just be adaptable. And yeah. Depending on. So now, um, with, uh, you know, we're, we're hearing like some populations are down in like in some, some areas, um, we've seen some die offs in Alaska, bad winters. Yukon, maybe numbers are down a bit. How are you guys looking at the territories for that? Um, this year, we've seen, like, at the start of the year when I showed up there, I was a little bit worried because you definitely could see that we had had more snow or maybe a late spring um, because all of our sheep, like, when we first showed up there, 90% of the rams still had their winter hair on. Right. So you could definitely tell that they were affected um, from the winter, but... Like our age average, we still averaged over 10 years old wow. on our rams. And we were still killing rams that were 12 years old and stuff like that. So um, if there was a big effect, we haven't seen it yet. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes it might be more in the lambs and stuff like that that we would see it. But this year, we did not see that effect yet where we are at. Well, that's yeah. cool. I talked to one of the other outfitters here and he was saying that uh, some in his area, some of the older rams had died off a bit, um, figured a really rough winter. And some of the, you know, the younger rams, like the seven, six, seven year rams, they were okay because they weren't, you know, they, were, they weren't breeding as much. They were fatter and they, they weathered the winter, but some of the older rams didn't make it, he was saying. So um, good to hear that it's, that's not the case for you guys. So. Yeah, I feel like 
Um, we, we really push hard to harvest rams that are over 10 years old. And like, you know, once they're 10, their odds of surviving is a little bit less. And then over 11, you know, you're going to have a few less every year and over 12. And there was a big question during COVID of like, were with us completely being out of the area. Like there was no hunting going on in the Mackenzie mountains for that 2020 year. And so there was a big question of like, what were we going to see when we got back there? It was like a whole bunch of excitement and stuff. But really, even that, we didn't see a true difference, really, because mm. our age average of like rams that we're killing is so old that I feel like a lot of those rams that we are harvesting during the season probably died off anyway when we, you know, we were killing 13 or 14 year old rams, you know, they're their chances of surviving the winter again are are pretty low so um yeah we luckily are able to have that age average so high but it, it's interesting to watch through the different seasons and the different snowfalls and all that um what it is doing for our population and mm. taking a year off it's pretty cool, actually. It's a really strong argument for sustainability and that, you know, we get beat up as hunters about, you know, oh, you guys, you know, you're killing all, all the sheep and, you know, but, you know, most guide outfitting, uh, guide outfitters are so cognizant of that. And it's about sustainability. If you kill everything in your area, you're not going to do very well the next year, right? Yeah. So, um, and that's a true testament, right? You'd think after 2020, taking a year off, you'd see a huge difference and to see really no difference. It's like, are we having that big amp impact on the landscape? And the answer probably is no, not that big a deal, right? So, yeah. Very cool. So hats off to you for managing <laughs> it properly. Awesome. Um, well, cool. I just want to thank you for, for doing this, Glenda, and for all you do for the industry. And, and honestly, I know you said, I look at myself as a guide outfitter. I don't look at myself as a woman, but you are an inspiration. I, I know there's probably a lot of young girls that look at you and go, wow, I want to be a Glenda Groat. And, uh, <laughs> and just appreciate what you're doing out there and, and what Canole's doing. And, and just it's an honor to have you here. Today. Thank you so, so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you.